You are listening to a Nerd Room Podcast, a member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Be sure to check out more from the Star Wars Commonwealth on the web at StarWarsCommonwealth.com and take your first steps into a larger world. Hey everyone and welcome to Nerd Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, and DC. This is episode number 149, we're discussing Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I'm on your host, Tim. I'm Troy. And I'm Sanjay. Ah, oh, guys, it's finally here. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. The, maybe, maybe the best Spider-Man film of all Ooh, time? controversial. I don't know. I'm just putting that out into the universe. I'm not saying it is. You'll hear a review here in a <laughs> momentarily. <laughs> But I wanted to put that out there just to see, just to get your reaction on that. But guys, we are here to discuss Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. This entire episode is going to be a review of that film, like we do with most of our film reviews. We're going to kick it off the top with a short, spoiler-free review, just giving our, our general reactions, our experiences with seeing the film, to kind of give some insight for those that haven't seen the film yet. And then we'll jump straight into our spoiler review. And we will tag that. We will let you guys know. We don't want to spoil this for you because it is actually a really great movie. Some really great moments in there. So if you haven't seen the film, pause it after the spoiler-free review and then come back later. We'd love to hear what you guys think as well. Maybe on Twitter, maybe via email. But we'll let you know where you can find all of us a little later on the episode. And just before we start anything here, guys, this is our last recording before Christmas. Wow. As a podcast, I'd like to wish everyone a happy holidays. I wish that everyone is safe, be kind to one another, and really, guys, just enjoy life. Enjoy your family. Enjoy the time. Because family's everything. You boys, I'm a family. (laughs) Well, thanks, thanks, Tim, as I just butchered. (laughs) You know, family's all about razzing each other. Uh, yeah, no, I echo those sentiments as well. And make sure if you get anything sweet at Christmas time, make sure you throw that up on Twitter yeah. so we can all see it. You know, I want to see those hot toys or those graphic novels or those t-shirts yeah. or whatever you're getting, throw it up on Twitter. We want to see, you want to make this, uh, you know, feel like we're there opening the presents with you. Yeah. We don't want to creep in on your family time that much. Well, like <laughs> some of, some of them we do, right? Like open it up. You know, you may get that Sanjay bobblehead you've been wanting or that Tim Funko pop. Hey, that's coming someday. <laughs> someday. The merch store, the Nerd Room merch store. We'll have fungal pops one that's day. Awesome. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, guys, now that we've got the sentiments out of the way, again, happy holidays to everyone. But let's get into this film. Let's get into Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. We're not going to banter like we usually do at the top of the episode because there's a lot to discuss here, and I don't want to waste any time. I've been pretty antsy since I saw this on the weekend (laughs) to actually discuss this with you guys, and I'm looking forward to finally getting some input from some of the guys in the Twitter gang and out in the Twitterverse because people have some opinions out this, and generally, I would say maybe more generally, I'd say overwhelmingly positive about yeah. this film <laughs> this thing's got one of the highest ratings on rotten tomatoes everyone talking about it is talking about how great it is how refreshing it is how there's heart the the action the visuals are all really great now did you guys feel that way again spoiler free i'm gonna throw it to you first troy because 
you are the spider dude of the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> What's your first spoiler-free reactions to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? And I think you're the only one that's seen it twice out of the three of us as well. That's right. Yeah, I've seen it two times, man. Love it. Love this film. No, going into it, man, uh, the expectation was pretty high. It was almost nerve-wracking because I remember from the minute I heard uh, Phil Lord and Miller producing this film, I was totally amped. And especially the fact that it's going to be based on Miles Morales. I thought this is so cool and so soon. See, so, you now the character what was created 2011, yeah. 2012. Well. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, that he got his uh, his spotlight on the big screen. So, um, you know, the Rotten Tomatoes meter was like 100 at this point, maybe even 99. Totally amped. I went in there uh, with Sanjay for screening and, man, couldn't believe what I saw. The animation was like something I've never seen before. It was fantastic. Uh, the voice acting is great across the board. I was actually really sold a lot by um, Jake Johnson. Yes. Um, mm. You know, when I first saw the trailer, I loved the trailer. But initially, I was like, that's not my seasoned Peter Parker voice, Spider-Man voice. But he won me over gradually throughout the film. And especially seeing it the second time, I really loved him as a standout. So, um, all in all, man, I love this movie. I might... I don't know if I'm going to see that third time. I might just, who knows? I saw Homecoming like four times. So why wouldn't <laughs> I see this three times? I love this film, man. It's great stuff. Blown nice, away. Nice. What do yeah. you think, man? Yeah. You know, I, I echo those sentiments as well. I'm just going to be like an echo this episode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I went into it. Expectations were high. And honestly, the best way I can describe it, spoiler free, is you know when you watch like a cartoon as a kid and you get that feeling when you're a kid and you're like, oh, this is the best thing ever. And then, you know, you go back and you watch it and like it doesn't really hold up. This this kind of felt like how I felt when I watched like the Spider-Man 90s cartoon as a kid. Yeah. Like I, I went into this going like, wow, like this is like brought me right back to like the Sinister Six or, you know, the Clone Saga or the Venom Saga. Like I was right there, you know, in my PJs eating, I don't even know, <laughs> Captain Crunch, you know, uh, <laughs> in Saturday mornings. man. this is... This is like a love letter to the character, much like Lego Batman. But I actually, yeah. you know, I'm going to go out there and say I actually preferred this one better just because I like the animation better than the Lego animation. So take that for what it's worth. You know, knowing me, the big DC guy, I'm putting this one ahead of a Batman film. So uh, that says a lot. <laughs> yeah, it, it speaks to a lot of the quality of the film, man. No kidding. You know, I think you're right, Sanjay. This is going to be an episode of Echoes because I'm the same as you guys. I went into this, and it's funny because I saw it 100% Rotten Tomatoes. It's getting these rave reviews for weeks on, weeks out. The animation was great. The The tag at the back of Venom really intrigued me, brought me into that universe. I love that. That was the best part of that whole film for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I concur. <laughs> but the thing I love going into this is that the visuals still struck me how they use the comic book genre itself, how they use different animation styles, even down to focus, in and out of focus. Now, I did have a slight issue with some of that, and we'll get into that when we're talking about some of the visuals, but it's a beautifully done film. It mm -hmm. looks awesome, and that in itself is worth the price of admission. Now, when you go down to the story, it is economic storytelling at its best. It does not waste any time on anything that really isn't necessary to the base story and to Miles' story. It goes through and whips through multiple villains, as you've seen from the trailers, multiple Spider-Men and Spider-Women, but I don't. you never feel the film weighted down by all of that content, which is not surprising, and maybe this lends itself a bit more to the animation, 
But you look at Spider-Man 3 or even some of the other films that we've reviewed in the past that you have two villains and you're like, whoa, that's too much. <laughs> yeah. This has like six or seven villains. It has a dozen Spider-Man, Spider-Women. And I never felt overwhelmed by it at all. I just was taking it in stride. And I don't know if that's because we're comic book guys or because the story is well-crafted. And I'm leaning a bit more towards the latter. It's just, like I said, economic storytelling at its best. This this film is for sure something that you got to go check out in theaters. I think on the big screen, it really lends itself to an experience viewing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, total positive for me. I, I And I have to echo that, too, on you with uh, with Jake Johnson as, as Spider yeah. or Peter B. Parker. Yep. He is awesome. It's great. That character could lead his own film. For sure. For and sure. I want to see it. Yeah, there's yeah. a there's yeah. a lot of potential spin-offs here. And we already know we're getting them. You could spin almost every character off here and do their own films, which is wild <laughs> when you think about it. It is wild and uh, I'll try and keep it I will keep it pretty much all Spider-Man here, but it's just I find it very interesting because you look at this film, it's uh it's a one-off as of right now. And um, they've managed to combine so many villains, like you mentioned, Tim, but they also combined so many brand new characters and we're all invested in them without giving us movies beforehand. Like Mm -hmm. Justice League couldn't really do that. And uh, I'm not throwing shade at them. It's just very interesting to see that this film could pull that off. I think going forward, that actually makes me more optimistic for films doing that because I know going into Justice League or just the DCU, I was always bashing at the fact that it needs to follow the Marvel formula where it needs to give us a standalone um, Aquaman first, a standalone Batman first, and et cetera, to get to the Justice League. Whereas this film totally broke that down. It was like, no, we can introduce all these characters in one film and make you fall in love with them, and then we can spin off afterwards. So pass off to them for doing that in an animated film. That's incredible. Yeah. Love yeah. that. Yeah. One thing I want to throw out there, just, just to kind of go on, on to that a bit, Troy, is that Marvel had to do 20 films for us to be overly invested in these characters. Yeah. Yes, I became immediately invested in a lot of them, but it took a long time to grow with some of those characters. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it wasn't like we went into Avengers and we're like, yeah, we love everyone. There was yeah. five, six films before that. And exactly. Infinity War, when we're, people were like crying in the theater over it, yeah. there's yeah. 20 films. Most of these guys got trilogies, yeah. Yeah. right? And most of these characters have been in four or five films yeah. prior to going to Infinity War. So I yeah. think that... that amps up your point a bit more and puts an exclamation mark on it is that they did it in one film here yeah one single film and they did it well yeah yeah um the other thing i will say i mean we'll get into this later but you know talking about sequels and spinoffs i want to see them all i want to see them all but the only way we're going to get it is this if this has a good box office and uh right now you know uh opening weekend you know uh wasn't wasn't overly impressive but it's the holidays it's gonna have that holiday legs just make sure you go out and see it. I want to yeah. make sure you hear that before the spoiler discussion because <laughs> I really wanted to get, you know, that all-female uh, spinoff. I think, like, Spider-Gwen, Silk, and Spider-Woman is what I've heard. And yeah. um, and the um, sequel to this. Yeah. You know, like, I want to see more. I'm invested in this universe. I want to keep going, you know. Uh, I want to see, like, 100 films based on this. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're safe. It's, um, I believe it's record-breaking for animated film, highest-grossing animated film. In December. In December. In December. Yeah, so in December. I think, yeah. I think we're going to be good. I think it's going to have some pretty decent legs on it. Yeah, that's what it's got to yeah. depend on here. And it's like I sent out show notes, and it's like you read them, Sanjay. Because that, that was a beautiful segue into us discussing the box office. This is one of our favorite things to discuss on reviews is box mm-hmm. office. All three of us are overly fascinated by this. This movie in itself has big implications for the Nerd Room box office fantasy pool. Because right. 
this film is the one that is going to make or break Troy winning this domestically. <laughs> Unless our record Ralph has an incredible weekend somewhere. <laughs> but it, it, it has to do really well for, for Troy to win. And like you mentioned, Sanjay, this film did $35.5 million on its opening weekend, the three-day opening weekend, mm-hmm. which in itself does break the record for highest animated opening in December. Okay, That's the okay. big caveat. And that overtook Sing which I think came out last year around I think it's time. last year. Yeah. It was last yeah. year? I think so. I saw it for I did the I saw it on the $2 Cinemaplex thing oh, okay. like way after. But anyways, it did 35.2 million dollars. Oh, pretty close. So it didn't beat it by much. We're, yeah. we're you know nickel and diamond here at this point. And just to look at some more recent animation openings mm-hmm. going back to november record ralph 2 did 56 million dollars okay you go back a couple years frozen did 67 coco two couple years ago did 50 moana 56 the grinch which just came out and dropped at the start of november did 67 in its opening weekend wow that's wow. good so comparatively this is on the lower end for animation and i think we have to maybe put an even bigger caveat on this when we're ranking this thing we're ranking against animation and not against comic book movies. It is a hybrid of them, mm-hmm. but it has to stand against animation because big comic book movies have that much wider draw compared to an animated film, especially an animated film that is as stylized as this, right? It's not mm-hmm. your straightforward Pixar looking type animation that the Grinch is. I saw the Grinch this weekend as well. Was it good? It's the same story you've seen two or three times. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter liked Stretched it, so. over two hours? It was really long. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, but I, I kind of have to agree with you there a little, Sanjay, is that this isn't overperforming. No. It's performing at what was predicted. They were saying earlier on in the weekend it was looking like it was going to pull $40 million, which would have been an overperformance for this film. So it's right in line, which is a bit shocking to me. To yeah. be honest with you, when I looked at this and being a hybrid of animation and a comic book film, I was looking at this thing to do that Frozen type money, that Grinch type money opening weekend, $60, 70000000 million. Does it shock you guys that this made $35 million or does that come right in on expectations? I'll throw it to you first, Sanjay. Uh, yeah, you know, comparing it to like all those big uh, Disney animated films, I feel like you know, compare it to like some of the other uh, superhero animated films that have come out. So I know like Teen Titans Go didn't make, I think it made like 50 million in its whole run or something like that. So comparatively, it's doing better against that. Although Teen Titans Go only cost, I think, 8 million to make, <laughs> whereas this one was like 90 million. So yeah. um, the, the, the big comparison I would have to this would be Lego Batman. Yeah. Mentioned it earlier. Right. I think that pulled in like 57 million yeah, opening like weekend. So it's fairly like, consistent, which is yeah, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> With animated films. Right. Um, I think, you know, that might have had the Lego factor as well. So maybe it bumped it up a little bit, but a little bit disappointed. Um, not like hugely disappointed. Like it's not like this thing pulled in like 10 million. I'm like, oh, this is a bomb. Holidays, you know, always the opening weekend's a little bit lower. Yep. There's a lot of competition and it's the legs that take it. This thing's going to have nice long legs. Um, yeah, <laughs> just like that time I shaved my legs and they were yeah. nice, long and smooth. Um, they're fairly short. <laughs> hey, now, um, you know, I think this is going to have good legs. It's going to play well over the holidays, especially with kids, especially with families. You know, after they see Aquaman two, three times, they'll finally give this one a shot, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, what, what do you think, Troy? Yeah, no, I, well, I, I agree with you for most of the part, except for the legs and Aquaman. But, um... <laughs> 
yeah, no, I think it's gonna have some decent legs on it though. Um, I'm not too too worried, but yeah, I do I do agree with you guys. I expected a little bit more, especially when you mentioned Lego Batman playing. Yeah. What did you say about 50, 60? I just there? looked up fifty three. Fifty three, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, but but like you guys also mentioned, it's a competitive month right now too for mm-hmm. December. Crazy so competitive. It's crazy. It is. This, this yeah. maybe would have been better suited in February. Yeah. 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 yeah, you yeah. know what I mean to, yeah. to catch that crowd, and that's a bit where Lego Batman sat, I believe it was March. I think it's February. March. Yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. So, so given this little space, this will have great repeatability as far as watching. It's going to do great on Netflix, and it's probably great as home video buying. You keep track of the statistics. Yeah, this to me seems like it's going to be really heavily weighted towards that. A lot of people are going to come to this because uh, I've got Aquaman or Bumblebee or Mary Poppins or something like that. Those are the films maybe they're saving the pennies for. And they're going to wait for this to come to Netflix or or home video or rental on whatever Sean demand. So I see it picking up a lot of pace there. This is going to become one of those films that it may not make $200 million, but it's going to have this huge cult following behind it. Yeah, That's what it feels like to me is that the spinoffs are going to come. The spinoffs are going to do better. It just feels like... They, with a single film, like we mentioned, that they've been able to craft a universe very quickly. And yes, they have to look at this as, as dollars and cents for, for making these things. They can't take losses. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Sony's looking to build franchises. Yeah. And some of these franchises don't need to be billion-dollar franchises on the onset, like a Venom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> These things are okay if they can do it. If they can take this, this style, this format and really propel this universe and spin out these things for slightly less money, not paying as as broad of a cast even, mm-hmm. and doing maybe smaller films, getting momentum behind openings, building a universe, relying a bit on the home video and all that. I think we got something special here, which I think all three of us can kind of acknowledge. Yeah. Um, you know, if this was 10 years ago, I probably would agree with you in the home video front, but sales of home video have been falling a lot, so... Unfortunately, you know, home video can't prop up a film anymore. Uh, whereas if it kind of missed its mark on the box office, people kind of found it when they were at Blockbuster or found it at HMV or Future yeah. Shop. Um, streaming, I'm not sure how that works. You know, I look at a film like Edge of Tomorrow, great film, amazing film, but did terrible at the box office. And, you know, streaming, I think it's got a streaming following, it's got a cult following, but I heard like we may be getting a sequel, whereas a sequel should have been like guaranteed right after it was announced. So, um, you know, I'm kind of, we'll see how this plays out. It, you know, I feel like it's going to turn around and I have confidence in it, but I just don't like in 2018 relying on home box office anymore. I feel yeah. like, unfortunately, you know, you guys will probably buy it, but and I'll buy it for sure. Yeah, but, but, I, but I don't think, uh, Joe, Everyman <laughs> is going to be picking this up. Unfortunately, streaming maybe is maybe like pirated, yeah. you know, I'm not saying I suggest it because I buy all my movies, but you know, I could see that too. Like kind of taken away from the box office. Yeah. Potentially, potentially. I don't know. But like, like we said, everyone seemed to like this film, even though it didn't take a huge cue at the box office. Yeah. You know, like we said, Rotten Tomatoes, as we record, is sitting at 97%. What's uh, a, what's Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, I don't know what that is. It's one of those sites that everyone loves sometimes and everyone freaking hates sometimes. <laughs> a site that Marvel um, fans love and DC fans hate. Yes. That's, that's maybe the best way to put it. But the caveat I always put on that, when we talk about Rotten Tomatoes, it's a bit of our way to take temperature. <laughs> this thing has 270 reviews and it's sitting at 97% which is unbelievable that's crazy depending on what category what box you put this in it's probably the highest rated comic book film of all time and the high one of the highest rated animation films of all time on rotten tomatoes i don't know for sure i didn't look it up and rank it but it's got to be 
pretty darn close. I don't think even Black Panther has this high on. I think Black Rotary. Panther was number one. Was it? 98 I, then. Yeah, I think Toy Story 2 was like 100 or 98. Yeah, like okay. Toy Story's been 100. Yeah. But, so th- yeah. those are two big films. You're Juggernauts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I know it was number one. I don't know if it still is. I know like they did like the Rotten Tomatoes release like their top superhero films not that long ago. And Black Panther landed on number one by tomato meter. So I don't know if it'll still stay there after next year. We'll see. Yeah, we will definitely see. And the critics consensus. Now, we read this out a couple episodes ago. But I want to use this as a bit of a a springboard to go into the spoiler review because I want us to look back at some of this and just kind of look and see if we felt relatively similar to what they're saying out there. And this this is coming from Rotten Tomatoes, yes, but this is, as far as I can tell on Twitter and all that, this is generally how people felt. Yeah. (laughs) So Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse matches bold storytelling with striking animation for purely enjoyable adventure with heart, humor, and plenty of superhero action. Seems pretty, pretty bang on to me. (laughs) <laughs> they should just put that on the uh, disc jacket yeah. of the movie and maybe they'd sell some copies at Best Buy there. <laughs> Critics consensus. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think on that note, guys, I think it's time we're going to jump into our spoiler review. And what we're going to do here is we're going to try to break down the plot a bit, but it's going to be a bit more character focused because the film in itself is quite a bit more character focused. So we're going to walk through some of the key plot elements, get into the individual spider people, the villains and all that, and then end with our overall rating ranking and recommendation for the film. So if you guys have not seen the film, this is a time when you push pause and you come back to us maybe after Christmas, whatever, once you've seen the film, because it isn't worth being spoiled over. But if you want to continue, (laughs) by all means, We'll be here. Well, what they could do is play this episode during Christmas dinner. So yes. it's like we're having dinner with them. You know, maybe we, maybe Tim, you should have provided like turkey or something and cranberries so that we could have, you know, relive that experience. So we're having dinner with all our listeners <laughs> there with them. You know, some stuffing would have been nice. Maybe some nice Christmas ale, some eggnog and rum. I can go for a beer. <laughs> if that's well, what we're getting. <laughs> all right, spoiler tag is on. It's not our fault if we get spoiled from this point forward. <laughs> so, okay, getting into our spoiler discussion here. Let's talk at the start. Visual style. This is one of the things that they were selling the film on when we saw that that clip at the end of Venom. That was one of the things that jumped out at you. What are your thoughts on the unique take of animation here? Working with everything like color, comic book movie art form, um, even like I said, the, the using the camera angles and, and focusing in and out a bit funny. Did you guys like that? Did you find it overwhelming sometimes? Like, what are, you, what are your thoughts? Trying to throw it over to you, man. Loved it. Loved the animation. It's, it's brilliant. Um, literally brought a comic book to life. You know, they did things in this movie that uh, Ang Lee's Hulk only dreamed they could have done. They tried doing it. Remember, they tried doing the splash oh, pages. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like every right. uh, transition scene is so annoying. Yeah, they, they tried hard to do it, man. But um, these guys here killed it. They, they knocked it out of the park. Um, the abstract kind of environment that was going on, like the Neo-looking New York, yes. if you will, was really cool. I love their take on New York. You know, when you look in the background, you can see, like, the Weekend's album, but it's not The Weekend. It's called, like, something else, but it's meant to be The Weekend because it's the a different weekend. universe, right? <laughs> so everybody has their their, their, their split. Um, I loved the attention to detail when, um, like, an action sequence would happen, whether it's, like, any kind of an effect. Like, when Aaron Davis laughs, you can see, like, the crack kind of yes. come out of his, his, his lips. 
that was just so cool what they did there and um the whole costume designs too like they, they literally did try and do too much with at least like the core heroes like they didn't really try and mess around with um spider gwen's costumes uh, miles a little bit or spider-man's but they didn't really try to do too much you know, like the mcu obviously because it's the cinematic universe they actually have to take some liberties with the costumes here they yeah. literally pulled those costumes right out and put them on the big screen man it, it was dope but seeing miles you know kind of have like his Jordans on with his costume and then he has like a hoodie on. It's just really cool, really New York. And man, they just, just brought this like multiverse alive with this animation. Nothing like I've seen before. It's great. Yeah, you know, I completely agree. The The colors is kind of what really sold me, you know, looking at some of those transitions when the multiverse is kind of folding in on itself and you saw like it kind of felt like graffiti art at times yeah. mixed with like a comic book and it was super cool. Um, Miles, you know, I love his costume. I've, you know, I've never read a Spider-Man comic before. I've never seen Miles before, but uh, just seeing his look, like his look alone, I love that Spider-Man costume, like with the all black, with the with the sneakers and the hoodie and the symbol. Super cool, like just totally unique. He's not, you know, I thought it, I thought going in maybe he would be kind of like a Peter Parker ripoff, but like now I'm like, no man, it's like completely different. Like I love this character. And I love the design of him and, you know, Spider-Gwen as well. Like, I love with the, the hoodie. Like, I always wear hoodies. Like, if I was a superhero wearing costume, I would be rocking the Spider-Gwen hoodie. Like, that's, that was my costume. With, with no periphery vision. Yeah. <laughs> it's the new shoulder pads. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody needs a hoodie, you know. Yeah. Um, no, I, I love the animation. The one thing I will say, I don't think this was the movie's fault. It may have been the theater or maybe my eyes because I'm old as dirt now. But, uh did you guys find during the movie, we, we saw it in 3D. I don't know if you saw it yeah. in 3D. Sometimes the film seemed a little bit blurry. Like when they were switching, transitioning scenes, you know, or like even moving, like he was swinging his times. I, I got a little bit of a blur. I think that's what I was saying when they're playing with focus. Yeah. I think that's on purpose. Okay. Because I'll, I'll, I'm right there with you. I, I pulled my glass off a few times. Yeah. And because I couldn't tell if that was real or not. And sometimes it was blurred even in the foreground. Yeah. Which, yeah, I have to see this in 2D. Yeah. Because I don't know how much of that is them taking liberties with the animation style or if it was how it was converted to 3D or well, however they did it. Yeah. So I that's I agree. That's my only nitpick about any of the animation is that weird focusing that they're doing. Because overall, brilliant, beautiful. The And like going back to taking liberties with animation... They did everything. It wasn't a consistent animation either, which I really liked. They they kind of plucked different art forms from different eras of comic book and inserted them. And like you said, Troy, the crack of his voice and mm -hmm. sometimes there would be like the Spidey sense was different. Yeah. Everything had it's a unique form to it, but it wasn't overused. It wasn't like every time someone spoke, you got kind of this cracking coming off their mouth is mm -hmm. once in a while. You got thought exactly. once in a while. Yeah. So it was kind of a, a homage. And, and like you said, a bit of a love letter, Sanjay yeah. to like Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, Bendis. Yes. They, they took from all eras and produced this kind of amalgamation of animation that really worked for me 95% of the time. I felt it, we'll get to it when we talk about the end battle, a little bit overwhelming sometimes, but it did suit what they were doing with the multiverse. Yeah. So that being one of the key draws, I'm fully in line with because it's a gorgeous film. And it when it needs to be consistent, it is. When he's in the room with his buddy, you know, you get that, that and when he's talking with uh, Aunt May, there's consistency there. 
It's when you're dealing with the multiverse, when they're twitching and phasing in and out, mm -hmm. the colors, the sheens that they used. Like some of this, I don't know if it's all, is it all computer? They must have done a, a, quite a bit of hand with this. Yeah, it looks like it's hand-drawn, then cell-shaded, and also yeah. computer graphic as well. Yeah, well, yeah, lots yeah. of layering to this. So yeah. that in itself is is one of the best parts of the film. And then you layer on the incredible score and soundtrack. Yeah, mm, man. like come on, that that yeah. there was <laughs> that had some personality yeah. in it. And one thing that we always focus on here is score and soundtrack, because that, for me, can make or break a film. Mm -hmm. You can put great content, great visuals, but if your score is lackluster, if your soundtrack is lackluster, you know, you want to see people bobbing their heads, especially when you have something with a bit of New York attitude to it, right? Yeah. You want to be bobbing your head in the film and being like, yes, I get this. I love this. Did you guys... I can see you. You're both nodding your heads. Bob my head right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How'd you guys feel about about the score and the, and the overall soundtrack? Uh, yeah, you know, just driving up here to record, um, Sunflower came on from Post Malone and uh, Swaley. Is it? I don't know. I know Post Malone is in it, but you know, I was like Miles Morales in the in the movie. Um, you know, I was like singing, and then I was like missing words. So I was like, -na 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 -na. yeah. Oh, that you was know? great. I know. It? I love that, man. And like the music video is based off of the movie, so I love that. You know, the songs they picked were perfect. I'm trying to think of another like a movie that I just saw recently is Bumblebee. They did that very well as well. You know, that movie takes place in the '80s. This one, I think, did it just as well. So, yeah, I loved it. You know, the score itself. I don't remember too much about it, to be honest, because the songs that they picked were so overwhelmingly positive that that's kind of what I've taken from the film. But I'm sure the score was fantastic. I just yeah. don't really remember it too much. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, man? Yeah, no, the score the score is cool. Again, going back to New York, man. I mean, you have New York, um, urban New York especially, and you know we get Miles Morales leaving somewhere and we get biggie we get biggie smalls being played in the background i'm like how appropriate is that that makes a lot of sense for me so it's cool to hear stuff like that i really like his transition where he really got his um his ish together and decided to become spider-man and they played like this this track i don't know what it's called something danger bring on the danger can't yeah, remember yeah. but it's a oh, great yeah. score and he's web swinging some of the best web swinging sequences we've seen it was so cool to see what they did there. But yeah, overall, the score was awesome. It's up there for me with the Black Panther score or soundtrack. I yeah. love the beats going on here. It was so, so refreshing for this film. I loved yeah. it. It becomes an important element, particularly the soundtrack with some of these comic book films. It's like you look at Black Panther, you look at this film, even the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. I have both yeah, those course. records the upstairs. First one? Yeah, so yeah. Good. yeah, they're fantastic. Mm -hmm. And it's not about taking away from a scene by inserting a familiar song. It's about adding to it. And that's what this does. I never felt myself taken out of anything by the addition of any music or the score itself. It just all worked really well together. And it worked really well, like you said, with that urban feel. Mm -hmm. And taking New York and, and breaking it down to, to just the score and the anime, it all works so well together. Yeah. And I think that that goes to heighten. Like We haven't even talked about any of the characters of the plot here. And we're raving about the animation style and the score. Which is something that when you look back at previous reviews, not particularly on animation, but comic book films, that's usually where there's some disagreement. The animation or the CGI isn't up to standards for all of them. The score is maybe a bit weak. That's a criticism we've laid on Marvel quite a bit, is that mm -hmm. there's nothing, like, you can't remember anything about it. You, yeah. you're starting to get that feel now with Avengers stuff. But outside of Black Panther and the Guardians, you're scratching your head to think, what's the theme of this? Like, how does this fit? Yeah. And this has personality, which I really like. And that is drawn out by the animation and the soundtrack. And also 
these brilliant characters. Miles mm-hmm. Morales. This is a character that came from Bendis, right, Troy? Yeah, yeah, Bendis, 2011, Ultimate Fallout, yeah. issue four. Wow. Issue four, Ultimate Fallout. Yeah, man. Yeah. Love this character. This yeah. character is is a brilliant update. I don't want to even say update because it's his own character. Mm-hmm. But it's a it's taking from the basic roots of Spider-Man and adapting a new and different story. And we see that right out the gate. They don't waste any time getting you familiar with Miles Morales. You know, you get this idea that he's got this artistic roots to him. He's kind of a very unique individual, very smart individual, which I really do like. They include his Hispanic roots and his African-American roots. He's speaking Spanish. We've got his mother in there, his father in there. I love what they do at the onset to make you immediately attach yourself to this character. And like you said, Sanjay, right from the start when he's got those headphones on and he's humming, he yeah. just feels like a very relatable character without saying a single word. Yeah. Did you guys get that from Miles Morales? Did you get that that immediate buy-in to this character and that immediate attachment? Like, I was engaged from the second he came onto screen. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, Miles Morales, or as we call him up here in Canada, Kilometer Morales. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> <laughs> get it? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just going to echo what you said, Tim. Um, relatability. You know, Peter Parker, I related to him as a kid, and I still do. But Miles Morales, there's something about him that is just so damn relatable. Yes. You know, like he just seemed like a kid that, you know, you either grew up with or you knew someone that was like that or even yourself is like that. Like, he, I, I love this character. I want to see more of him. Um yeah, I just, you know, he's such a cool character. And the scene, like, with his costume, you know, his costume has personality to mm-hmm. it. You know, it's not just a spider copy costume where they just change the colors. Like, it's it's distinctively uh, Miles. Yeah. You know, and, and I love that, you know. I, I, and he has his own set of powers, too. You know, he's not just bitten by a spider. He can spin a web, and he's got super strength. This guy's got electricity. He can turn invisible. I thought that was cool that he gets his own power set. So I'm totally, totally on board with this character. Yeah, man. No, you know what? I got I got to be real. I'll be honest. You know, when I heard about this movie, I was obviously pumped. And I don't know if you, about you guys if you can speak on this, but I know for me personally, I love this character so much. That a little part of me was kind of like, kind of felt greedy and selfish in the fact that I'm like, do I? I don't want this character to be like that big. I don't yeah. want like the whole world. Yeah, like it sounds kind of like like crappy of me. But you're a hipster. You're like I knew Miles before he was cool. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, which is just it's 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 bad. But you know, I was like they could do so much wrong with this character. They could yeah. really go sideways and they didn't not at all. They, they put this character on such a high level. They've actually done some things in this movie far better than the comics or, or the video games or the other cartoons out there uh, by Disney. Like you mentioned, Tim, the fact that we have like an Afro Latino here and they actually capitalize on that. They actually like show you that he is Spanish too, because yeah. it's so mm-hmm. easy for people to just be like, that's the black Spider-Man, but he's not, he's Afro Latino. And when he's running down the um, the street talking to his old like schoolmates and he's speaking oh. Spanish and he's he's tagging like street signs and stuff like that, I'm like this yeah. this is a real kid in 2018. Um, yeah. Yeah. Listen to his music. So they did such a great job of really doing like a modern Spider-Man and a, a fresh take of Spider-Man for the whole world to really um, connect to and relate to. So yeah. they did just you know, phenomenal work on this character. I love it, love it. He's going to become a household name, I'd say for sure now off of this film. 100%. Oh, sure. And I think yeah. a bit more to your point there, Troy, is that, and even more to yours with, with being relatable, is that they, not not once did I think, oh, this is a Spider-Man ripoff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, this is 
his own character, his own story that has some similarities to Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, I said at the top or a little earlier that, you know, it is an update and that's the wrong way to put it. This is a fresh character with a relatively similar origin story when it comes down to being bit by a radioactive spider of some sort and getting different powers. That was a, like I went and watched this on Sunday with Troy and that was a great scene. Like both of us were cracking up yeah. when he gets bit and he kind of just brushes it off. Yeah. It's yeah. not a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, until he comes back later and it, it's, it's, and it's the, the character himself, and I have to look it up here in a second. The the uh, the voice actor's name. That's another big part of this is that when he talks, you listen. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's not that yeah. you skate over certain words and you're trying to pick up main plot elements. I'm engaged with the voice, even. Yeah, Sh- yeah. Shamik Moore. Shamik Moore, thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. he's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah, awesome, oh. awesome voice acting he did. Him and um Jake Johnson. Yeah. are just incredible together. You really get that mentor relationship, like um. Jake Johnson's been there, done it all. And then you really get Miles really just sinking it all in and taking yeah. it all in. I, I love what they did with those two. And that, yeah. that kind of innocence and naivete about Miles Morales too, right? Mm-hmm. They don't just, he doesn't do where he jumps and all of a sudden he's web swinging, right? Exactly. It takes almost yeah. a whole film yeah. for him to get comfortable with his power set. And it's yes. not until like the last like five minutes that he's actually doing this in control, which yeah. I think is great. I don't, I don't want a kid to get these powers and then all of a sudden be Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. We don't need that. This is a, another reason why having the foundation of all these other different spider people really yeah. worked, right? Is you've got your web swing, you've got your, your seasoned vets in there. And this kid yeah. is just kind of sitting there and all like, how are you doing that? Like, how am <laughs> I supposed and learning with them, right? We've learned with how many Spider-Men in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Three different iterations of it, mm-hmm. essentially. And this one still felt fresh. Yeah. It was like, I want to, I want to watch him learn. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, which is absolutely incredible that they're able to pull this off. Now, Troy, Mm -hmm. can you speak a little bit to how comic accurate the character is? You're saying that, you know, this could have went sideways. You know, Mm -hmm. we have these invisibility powers. What's, you know, can be called the venom blast this electricity thing. How accurate is this for those that have never read anything on Miles Morales yeah. to the comic books that were written? His origin story and is his power set and, and all that. P- power set's identical. Um, origin story, it's a, it's a lot different, the origin story. Um, okay. Just in a nutshell, basically, um, Aaron Davis, who is a.k.a. the Prowler in the Ultimate Universe, uh, goes into Norman Osborn's lab, steals a whole bunch of stuff, but by coming back to his apartment, he also brings a spider mm-hmm. with him. Miles has a visit with him. That spider crawls out of Prowler's backpack and bites uh, Miles Morales. And then he has the whole, well, I got spider powers thing. And Miles Morales is only 13 at the time. So Miles Morales is super young when he's first bit by the spider, while you still have Peter Parker, who's like 16, still being Spider-Man at the time. But um, other than that, I mean, it's pretty much spot on. The characters are slightly different. This Miles is a little, I don't want to say a little more real, but he's he has a little bit of a different take to him. Uh, he's, he's a little more outgoing which I like. I, I love both of them. I feel like the comics as of late have actually been turning Miles more towards this one, which is yeah. kind of interesting. Um, going back to your point, though, with the web shooters or not web swinging, it's kind of cool because I feel like um, Bendis must have had a say on this because when you read Miles Morales way back then, 2011, 2012, it takes him a very long time until he starts web swinging, even until he gets his web shooters. So I feel like Bendis must have had some kind of control on that which you know going forward i hope more movies work with more of the creators mm-hmm. or, or or writers you know so yeah yeah, yeah. sir 
because there will there be a tendency to want to, to and Sony in particular, <laughs> to want to push this character being the Spider-Man, right? Of course, yeah. Right away. So we don't, maybe people don't want to see him struggle or grow with the powers. Yeah. And that, to me, is one of the best parts of the film. For sure. Is that they let him develop. This is a Miles Morales story. They let it be a Miles Morales story, even though you're cramming in half of the, the villains and all these different Spider-Men. But even with all of that, it still is at its core, and even beyond that, a Miles Morales story. That yeah. is really good writing when you can do that. We've seen that in films, live-action films, albeit, but we've seen it where... All of a sudden, you have a character in there, and it's not that character's film anymore. Yeah. And because you're trying to stuff in so much. Civil War, to me, I'll always say it's a Captain America story, but the Cap story suffers a bit because you're trying to fit in the Avengers. This yeah. is effectively working with roughly the same amount of characters. Yeah. But I never once felt like this was a Peter B. Parker story. Yeah. This was always a Miles Morales story. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. I mean, I say Peter B is like secondary for sure, Definitely. especially second time around. But yeah, the, the focal point is still Miles, which is really good because that's another thing I was worried about. When they first actually announced this film, I thought it was just going to be one universe, Spider-Man dies, and then Miles Morales picks up the mantle. But they did so much more. Yeah. That mm -hmm. kind of worried me, but they actually kept it very focused on Miles the whole way through. Yeah. 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 Now, what about using the multiverse and this this whole thing? We'll get into some of the details with the villains in a little bit. But using that to create Miles Morales' origin story, right? Because in the absence of really all of that, you don't have Miles Morales becoming Spider-Man. Maybe in some way Spider-Man does die, but his overall development into eventually the Spider-Man we see at the end of the film, a lot of that goes to Spider-Gwen, Peter B. Parker, uh, Spider-Man Noir, like all these other characters really contribute to building him up. We see this numerous times with Peter B. Parker, in when he leaves him on his own, says, you're not ready for this kid, you can't do this, we'll handle it. They force a lot of his development, which is really cool. I like that they used the multiverse as a plot point, but also as a way to drive Miles' development. It's really cool the way they did that. Because you could lose a lot of people, and they may have lost a lot of people with the multiverse, but to me, they executed it really well in two sides of this there's two sides to that coin right it's a plot element but it's also something it's a it's a mechanism to drive the character development do you guys think that the use of the multiverse is confusing given that it's the base plot element for a lot of different things in this do you think a lot of the general audience people outside of us the the lovers of the genre the comic book readers would be confused by all the multiverse interdimensions or do you think people just took it in stride um, you know, I think they did a good enough job that, like, you know, I, I don't think they'll get confused. But then again, like, you know, I read it. Well, you know, I read a lot of DC and DC is all about that multiverse. So, um, you know, I'm a little bit pissed that uh, Marvel beat him to the punch on the big screen there. Because now, you know, if, if uh, DC does that, you just give me a show the other day. That's true. That's true. Yeah. But that's the small screen. Uh, um, I think they did good. I'm just trying to think, you know. The worlds were different enough and the characters were different enough and they did a good job explaining, okay, now let's go back and see my story. And then they tell like the origin story of yeah. the different spider uh, men and women. So I think they did a good job there. 
Wilson Fisk as well, you know, going through the multiverse to save his family, that kind of all made sense to me. It just seemed like logical, but like, I say logical, but we're talking about like different dimensions here. Comic book logic. Comic logic, right? You know, it's comic logic. So it, it made sense to me. But then again, you know, I'm a comic book fan. So I read comic books. To me, it's just second nature. It's a second nature as, you know, getting bit by radioactive eel and now you're electro. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, it made sense to me, but I'd have to go with someone who wasn't reading comic books and ask them. I think, you know, I think maybe we're just a little bit biased, but to me, it made perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, I got to say, you know, it's um, hats off to Miles, you know, for his first day being a superhero, taking on the multiverse and winning. <laughs> yeah. that's, that, that's something, you know, like, <laughs> the original Spider-Man is just like the vulture, you know, Batman is the word Red Hood gang. But, you know, here he is taking on the multiverse. But, um, you know, in this day and age, we have like the shows. Yeah. Like the CW, like if you just watch Flash itself, they're dealing with like the multiverse just in that whole season, mm-hmm. let alone what they do when they have the whole team up episodes with um legends of tomorrow and whatnot i think it's an audience the general audience has kind of grown to understand the multiverse and stuff like that it's still not easy it's really hard for me to separate like the comic side of me to be like was that done for like the general audience or not but i think it's pretty simplified i don't think it's that hard they didn't dive too like, like, like basically when they were introducing each character they had their little side story of where they came from which yeah. is kind of like mm-hmm. holding the audience's hand a little bit i think they did it for the most part like i don't want to say dumbed it down but i think they made it relatively easy for everybody to wrap their heads around without having to question where so-and-so came from at this point yeah so yeah. i think they did a pretty decent job there's a bit of exposition when he's in class too right that explains exactly. the whole thing oh yeah yeah and about five there. sentences yeah. Yeah. yeah where they just rock through and say this is this multi-dimensions multiverse blah 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 yeah. And then there's even a line, a drop line later, just like they taught us in class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think I agree with you guys. I think that conceptually it was delivered in a way that, yeah, most of the audience should have got this. Yeah. And outside of that, because the only thing that I felt slightly confused on, and this goes down to two basic key development points for Miles Morales was the death of what I'm calling the ultimate Spider-Man, who is voiced by Chris Pine and the death of uh, Prowler, Aaron Davis. Yeah. So going with the death of the ultimate Spider-Man first, this is where my slight confusion came in because I wasn't aware, and this is just trailer. So this is not the filmmaker's fault. I wasn't aware there was the ultimate Spider-Man, like another Spider-Man in Miles Morales universe. So when he was talking, Chris Pine voicing this original like this was the pinnacle Spider-Man it seemed right. Yeah. He had done everything. He was the best. Yeah. When he was talking for the first 10 minutes of the film or whatever it was, I'm sitting there thinking, is that Jake Johnson's voice? I, I don't, cause there's some very similar lines that delivered like, Oh, you're just like me. That yeah. said quite a few times. And it said yeah. by both Peter B Parker and the ultimate Spider-Man. And so I'm thinking, wait, wait, like, am I, I was really confused there. Because I wasn't expecting them to do the whole death of Ultimate Spider-Man. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's a key point in Miles Morales' story. But I just assumed that we had one Peter Parker and oh, not okay. the death of the other. Uh, so that, right. to me, is, was the only confusing parts because I wasn't quite ready for the other Spider-Man to be present. But it's an important part of Miles Morales' story, right, Troy? It's Big the time. death of Ultimate Spider-Man. How do you think that they handled that? Because this Spider-Man seemed to be more or less the Raimi Spider-Man. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah he did the dance, <laughs> he, he did the whole uh, train sequence, he yeah. punched the car. Or, the yeah. upside-down yeah. kiss. Oh, the dance yeah. was amazing. Yeah, I was yeah, howling was at great. that. 
that was awesome um yeah no yeah it, it's a huge part for miles like peter has to die in order for him or at least a spider-man has to die in order for him to take on the mantle because like i said in the comics he's 13 when he gets bit by the spider but spider-man's still doing his thing spider-man dies and even then he still doesn't really want to take on the mantle but it's just kind of brought to him and he has to go and do his thing so in this film i think they actually did a better job because the cool thing is you actually get to see like a dynamic between um is it uh, Chris Pine? You get to see Chris Pine yeah. and Miles kind of have a little bit of interaction. And Chris Pine was actually more than willing to like train Miles, which mm-hmm. is really cool because most of the times it's like Batman doesn't want anything to do with Robin at first, right? Right. Even in the comics now, or um, Spider-Man Earth Six One Six doesn't want anything to do with Miles. Like a lot of times, you always see the mentor kind of push away the protege, which mm-hmm. here is really cool to see that um, this Spider-Man was so quick to train him, and you're actually kind of gets your hopes up. Like I, I knew he's gonna die. <laughs> but a part of it is already like, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to see these guys go through, like, training montages, like Rocky and Creed. Like, That'd be awesome. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but obviously that uh, that didn't work out. And then, again, we get a mentor. We go back to that trope, right? So when we get back to uh, Peter B. Uh, Parker, we go through that trope where he's pushing Miles away, which yeah. is what we're kind mm-hmm. of accustomed to. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I really did enjoy that element of it. And the other aspect or key defining moment, like, it is tragedies, tragedy the same way that, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, is born. But we have kind of a dual tragedy here. We have someone that's at arm's reach away that has similar power set. But then there's also his uncle, who he has a really great relationship with. And they don't spend a ton of time developing it, but you buy into it right away. That he has a bit of a harsher relationship with his father. It's still good, but his father being a cop, and they go mm-hmm. through the whole sticker thing, and he's pretty strict about, you know, get your grades, do this, do that, do that. And his uncle's a bit more chill, a bit more laid back. And he goes to him with certain things. You know, his uncle encourages his art, where his dad doesn't seem to do the same. So there's a there's a nice relationship there with his uncle that is really impactful later on, especially when we see the death of Prowler Aaron Davis. And that, to me, is his Uncle Ben moment. Mm-hmm. There's a moment where he's propelled into being a Spider-Man, or at least having this power set, and thinking that he has to do something with this. And then there's the... Well, there's two moments, actually. There's the switch, or at least the the push when his uncle dies. And then there's the real encouragement from when his father accepts Spider-Man. So it's really cool to see that kind of laid out in front of you and how much it took Miles Morales to get to where he is. It's not one tragic event like Ben Parker. or Yeah, Ben Parker. Ben Riley. Ben Riley. Ben Parker. Sorry, Ben Parker. I'm ben, the yeah. clone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too many Bens. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's quite a few defining moments for, for Miles. And did you guys buy in the same way I did to Aaron Davis, to the Prowler itself, who had a freaking awesome theme? I, that's my favorite villain in this film, with the exception of one. But I really like what they did with Aaron Davis. And it, again, it was very, very economic storytelling. You bought into that relationship right away. There was stakes. There was even stress, anxiety for me when the Prowler's chasing Miles Morales. I know he's not going to kill him, but I still felt myself feeling like, oh my God, when's he going to find out? How long is he going to chase him for? <laughs> that sh- For a comic book reader, that shouldn't happen, but it did. I felt those stakes in that, and I felt the weight of it when he died. Did you guys get that same thing? Oh yeah, like he was he was scary. Like his voice and, um, you know, when he's like trying to find him and he turns invisible, like... You know, I, I was with you. I was I was a little bit scared there with yeah. you. <laughs> uh, I liked him. You know, I did know that he was his uncle just from homecoming because yeah. um, 
community troy from yeah uh, child gambino yeah yeah, that's, yeah 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 not you troy but the other troy <laughs> yeah. community <laughs> um you guys were talking Donald about him Glover. yeah that's the word that's the word um you guys were talking about him and saying like, you know he connects to miles morales you know that's the prowler kind of thing so you know going into it though if i didn't know that that would have been such a crazy reveal yeah um but comic book readers and like people who listen to this podcast would know like myself that uh, he's related to Miles. So, you know, I think it's a good, I think it's a really good reveal. Um, I just wish that they, I didn't know that cause I think it would have been more impactful, but yeah. it, it is what it is. And it was really well done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. This is the whole winter soldier thing all over for me again, you know, going into winter soldier, people are like, Oh, Bucky's winter soldier. That's such a spoiler. And I'm like, I thought we just all knew that. You know? <laughs> uh, now this is the same thing here. I'm just like, oh yeah, I guess like people don't really know that Aaron Davis is is the prowler. So I guess that would be like a a, a, a twist, right? Yeah. But um, no, Aaron Davis is great. Marshall Ali, oh, this guy so is good. fantastic. Mm-hmm. You watch what he does in Moonlight. It's the same kind of dynamic and relationship that he plays for like this this boy that he adopts. It's just, it's just really, really similar what they do here with him and Miles. It's so well done. Um, speaking of um, childish Gambino. You actually see him in the scene. So the first scene that we see of Aaron Davis and um, and Miles, if you see the TV, you can see actually the Troy character from Community. He's putting what? on like the Spider Man suit. Yeah, it's, no it's really good. yeah, has like, the ah. bigger hair. Yeah, so that's such a cool callback that they're doing to uh, to Troy and the MCU and Childish all in one there. So that's great. Um, the vibes I got from Prowler though, just terrifying. Like you, Tim, like that anxiety when he's chasing miles it's like the first predator meets t1000 it's like kylo ren moments too like the, yeah. the close-up with his face is right there with um miles oh man that was so cool how they did that is he was my favorite villain hands down in this film and one of my favorite characters in this movie what they just did with the prowler because the prowler is like a c-list villain maybe even lower so it's really cool that they're pushing this character in the comics and in the movies now and potentially in the mcu can't wait to see what they're gonna do with this character in the future man this is awesome bring him back i hope yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was probably one of the most re- well-received villains, I would say, across mm-hmm. the board. And I, I still can't believe how little time we spent with him, but how engaged you are. And I keep using that word "engage" because every character we're introduced here, whether it's his mother, his father, who get minutes of screen time, but I'm I'm fully engaged with every character that's introduced, and that is even including all the supporting spider people because after we go through this initial battle where we get the big huge goblin he's saying norman osborne which is a bit crazy for me but (laughs) (laughs) there's there's a point in there where they kind of crack the multiverse right they have this fight he pushes his head in everything happens peter parker dies at the hands of wilson fisk and then boom we have the multiverse spewing out into what i'm going to call the ultimate universe i can't remember the numbering of it but um, let's talk about some of these characters. Now, we've mentioned quite a few of them in Peter B. Parker, Spider-Gwen, Spider-Noir. But let's, let's kind of break them down a little bit here. Because the nice thing that they, they did with all of these characters, uh, they, they I'm going to go back to it again, economic storytelling. They give you a very, very minor window into this character, and you're immediately engaged. The other thing I like that they did with all of these characters is that this gives the film a timeline. It gives it pace. It gives it direction with the deterioration and the phasing. You know, it it gives the film a sense of urgency. We're driving towards something, and it has to be fairly quick. So the pace of this thing is almost breakneck because of all of these characters. And I really, really like that 
about the plot in itself is that it uses this as basically putting a timer on the table and saying, you have until this time to complete this movie. If you don't, we're going to die. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest with you guys, coming down to stakes, I couldn't tell who was going to live and who was going to die in this film. They could have killed anyone except for maybe Spider-Gwen. And I would have been like, oh my God, that makes perfect sense. I could have seen it go either way. Yeah. Um, but a character that, that to be honest with you, that, that I was going to thought was going to die was Peter B. Parker. I know that individual universe needs it, Spider-Man, but this is a character that for me, in parts of the film, they're telegraphing his death. But let's, let's break down the character a little bit. Jake Johnson, Peter B. Parker. What did you guys think of this? He was kind of this later in life. I think he calls him homeless or kind of a <laughs> bum of a Spider-Man at some point. Um, it's played so well by Jay yeah. Johnson. I, to me, he is this close, like inches away from stealing the show. It's still miles of show. It's still great, but he is a close second when it comes to characters in this film. And it's, it's kind of a nice take on Spider-Man cause we're used to it. At least the Spider-Man from the ultimate, um, in this film itself, the Chris Pine version mm-hmm. was like on a pedestal. This guy's, eh, he's kind of a bit soggy <laughs> around the waistline. He's okay. He's kind of divorced from Mary Jane. Yeah. You know, yeah. kind of down on his luck. Yeah. Did you guys love this guy too? I know you did, but maybe jump into a little bit more, Troy. I love this character. This is because to me, um, I feel like this is the Spider Man I'm reading in the comics right now, except he's done all that and he's way older. He's like a 38 year old man, whereas. The comics that when you're reading Spider-Man now, he's roughly 26, 28. So I feel like this is 10 years later. He's been there, done it all. And he was, you know, that uh, Chris Pine Spider-Man at one point. And now uh, a real real situation has happened to him. The cool thing about this character is when you look at him, you know, Spider-Man's asked to save the world. Cool. I'll do it. You know, he'll he'll sacrifice himself. Cool. He'll do it. But then when it comes to a real issue, it's like, I want to have kids now and settle down. That to him is like, I don't know if I can do this, which is really interesting to see that character kind of run from something like that. So to see what they've done with him and make it kind of relatable, because I'm sure there's people out there that it's it's a, it's a real life situation, not a superhero kind of thing. Um, and then see him kind of go back to his dimension where he comes from and he wants to step up to the plate and take on that challenge and be um, a father figure. Because after mentoring um, Miles, mm-hmm. you, you get that sense that he's ready for that. He, he really portrays like that Uncle Ben kind of mentoring yeah. relationship with the characters. So all around, he, he's good. And, you know, his character, New Girl, really translates well with his performance here because they're both kind of bummy in the, yeah. in the show. Right. And um, his voice really works for like a seasoned Peter Parker at that age. You know, yeah. they didn't make him too old, which is great. Like he's still like a, he's, you know, he's, he's late thirties, but he's yeah. Yeah, mid thirties. Right? So it, it still works out. But um, yeah, you know, Jake Johnson, man, g- give me more of that. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I agree. Um, you know, he's talking about relatables. Like I probably have the body more of him than I do of uh, the earlier Spider-Man or Miles Morales, if I'm being honest with you guys. So uh, I, I can see that. So maybe I could be a superhero now. Um, anyway, can wear the mask. Right. That's that's, a, that's yeah. a powerful line. I love that line. Yeah. 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 And no returns. <laughs> um, I, you know, I really like the character. The thing I really liked is they played him for humor in parts, but he was serious when he needed to be serious. And, you know, I, that's kind of been my biggest critique of the MCU, certain films. Like I felt like Ant-Man and the Wasp, they didn't do that where it was just comedy throughout this one. I think they handled it perfectly. Like so funny. I was laughing so hard at some of the scenes, but then like it was a serious moment and that went away and I felt emotion and I felt like sadness and I felt, 
you know, upset at uh, certain scenes. Like, and Peter B. Jones, or not Peter B. Jones, but Peter <laughs> B. Parker uh, is one of the big reasons for that. You know, he, he had some funny bits and he had some serious bits. Yeah, when he left him in the in his school room or whatever. Yeah. Like, that was a serious moment. Oh, in his dorm. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, feel for him, right? Yeah. Right. That landed. Yeah. That could have been seriously undercut by a throwaway one-liner, right? Yeah. yeah. And you don't and get start- that. Yeah. And the other Spider-Man are out there too, yeah. just waiting to see what's going to happen. Oh, man. Yeah. That was a good scene. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, Spider-Gwen, Haley Steinfeld. Yeah. You don't get a whole bunch of her here. She plays a – she's there, but she doesn't get a ton of lines or a ton of development. And I think that's on purpose, and I'm okay yeah. with that. Mm-hmm. I think this is a character that, given the screen time that Peter B. Parker got, she could have maybe stole the show. We've already got an announcement that we're getting a spinoff of this character. They've alluded to the fact at the end of the film that there's going to be still a connection between her and Miles. But I want to see more of this character, and we're going to get her. But did you think that them holding back on her a little bit, was that a detriment to the film? Or do you think that allowed us to get a good introduction to this character, and we'll see more of her later? Yeah, no, I think we'll definitely see more of her later. I mean, especially with them announcing the um, the spinoff film or sequel. Um, another thing to keep in mind, like I mentioned, like Miles is a new character, but Spider-Gwen's even newer. I think yeah. she came out like 2013, 2012. Yeah. Like she's really new. Well, so the fact that she's on the big screen too is, you know, enough said about how well that character has been received. Um, Hailey Seifel, I've been saying for a while, she's great. Ever since Edge of 17, she's fantastic. Yeah. To have her voice work bring uh, to life Gwen Stacy is so cool, so well done. They gave us just enough backstory of what we needed. Um, I like that she could have very well, yeah, Tim, um, you know, mentored Miles as well if Peter wasn't there, mm-hmm. if Peter B. Jordan or Peter B. Jordan, <laughs> <laughs> Peter B. Parker uh, wasn't there. So, um, no, Spider Gwen was great. I love what she did. I can't wait to see what she's going to do in the next film. Cause we obviously seen there's a little, um, you know, not even a post credit, but a little clip there, her yeah. talking smiles at the end. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing I'll say, you know, the look of her, you got like the color seemed different than for miles. Like they seem more shiny, more vibrant. Yeah. Um, and the costume was brilliant. I love the look of it. You know, I already went on record saying about the hoodie. I think that was sweet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> straight out of the comics. Too. Yeah. yeah. Right yeah. out of the comics. I loved, I love the character. I want to know more about this character again. Um, it's such a cool idea. I love, you know, that's part of the reason why I love like the multiverse. You can play with these, you know, these tropes, these superheroes, but like put them in different situations. You can have Superman, and instead of landing in the U.S., he lands in Russia, and you get an amazing story out of that. Mm-hmm. You have Spider-Man, where you know Gwen Gwen Stacy dies, but what if she doesn't die, and what if she grows up to be Spider-Man? Yeah, yeah. you know, like I I love that playing with you know what we know about the established history of the character, and saying like it's like the butterfly effect, and yeah. that's kind of what the multiverse is. Is just mm-hmm. let's just you know what if a butterfly flapped their wings and Gwen. Stacy doesn't die in that one scene and she grows up to be Spider-Man. Like I want to see some cool stuff like that. Like maybe we'll get like an Aunt May thing or something. I don't know. Like that's, that's what's cool. It's like maybe Aunt May could be Spider-Man. Well, there is in the, in the spider get there is a spider Aunt May. There is. There There's you go. Ben, Spider-Man. It's, it's gets wacky. Yeah. Right. Like let's just do it all and just, you know, yeah. throw it all on the wall and see what sticks. I, I just love that playing with the characters and the history. And you know, um, you didn't get a lot of Mary Jane in this. Um, no. She was in a little bit, and that's kind of um, the love interest that I know more about for Spider-Man, you know, based on the 90s cartoon and Sam Raimi films, is always about Mary Jane. So Gwen, you know, a little bit less, but I think she's like the OG, right, Troy? She's the first love interest of Peter Parker? 
Uh, Betty Brandt. Betty Brandt's like the first. Oh, okay. first but I mean, yeah, the one that his main squeeze, yeah, was um, Gwen Stacy. But yes. then they made room for uh, for Mary Jane. Well, I think Mary Jane's the better one, better received one, at least. Yeah. Yeah, and Gwen Stacy plays a pivotal role in the death of Gwen Stacy. She exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. And him being at fault for that. We saw that. I think it was really well done in The Amazing Spider-Man, the two films. The only good All thing that. about that. Yeah. yeah. The chemistry yeah. between those two. Yeah, I agree. That's yeah. the yeah. best part Incredible. of both of those films was yeah. the chemistry yeah. between those two. And yeah. the death of Gwen Stacy. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree with you, Sanjay, that seeing all these characters is great. And then we've got Spider-Man Noir, Spider-Ham, and Penny Parker here. I have to say, yeah. for me, Spider-Man Noir, I really enjoyed that it was Nick Cage. Love Hilarious. it. Love it. He was yeah. good. He was good. Very sparingly used again, but used at the right moment. Same with Spider-Ham. Both him and Penny Parker could have taken you right out of the film. Yeah. yeah. But they're used just enough to give you a little bit of uplift. Like, Spider-Ham wasn't overly used for every dropped humorous line. Yeah. yeah. It was It was kind of distributed between him and Peter B. Parker. And then Penny Parker, I, who had, I have no idea about if no. that's a real character or what. Yeah. <laughs> but, and maybe you can enlighten us a bit, Troy, but for me, she was kind of the one character I didn't find myself immediately engaged with. I never really got there with her. That's the only character that... I struggled with a little bit. So can you bring a little context to that, Troy? Not with her. I think she's in Spider-Verse or Spider-Geddon, but yeah. she's very background. I don't know enough about that character at all to yeah. give any inputs. But yeah, I mean, that character could have very easily gone south. They used her just enough, and I was fine with what mm -hmm. they did. I'm pretty sure going forward, they'll they'll do something else or maybe yeah. even sideline her. But um, yeah, she's okay. The animation was cool on her. That's about yeah. it. The robot yeah. was neat. Yeah. yeah, it just yeah. It brought in kind of a different style. Yeah, that animation. anime flavor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think yeah. that, that was kind of what stood out to me. But the character in itself, yeah, I agree. We may not see a character like this down the road. Yeah. They may pick up on, on something else later mm -hmm. on. But Spider-Noir, Spider-Ham, you guys cool with both of oh. those? Love them. <laughs> Spider-Noir, was it's, it's the year of Cage. It's the year yeah. of Cage and Spider-Man. Because yeah. Cage in uh, Teen Titans Go is Superman. Yeah, you know, he's was, good. Was, was fantastic. And I love uh, when, you know, Aunt May's like, can you guys take this outside? And he's like, we don't pick the bar, we dance in. We just, yeah. just dance. <laughs> I, this delivery's hilarious. Or he's talking about, like, why is the wind blowing? There's no wind in here. Yeah. You know? oh, yeah, just, so good. It was hilarious, <laughs> stuff that's going on. Um, Spider-Ham, though, you know, Spider-Ham was really cool because, um, again, this is like Sony taking notes from Guardians and especially uh, Infinity War because you see um, Thor, Chris Hemsworth, and uh, Rocket Raccoon have some really good dynamic dialogue between the two in that sad moment. And they kind of did something similar in this film, too, where mm -hmm. they took Spider-Ham of all the goofy characters, who's basically like the kind of the rocket in this world, and they had him deliver that line that, you know, everybody everybody fails or everybody has an uncle Ben. He, he delivered one of the, yeah. the lines that was the most critical one. And I was mm -hmm. like, that's so cool that you gave the, the goofiest character on the, in the screen, that dialogue. And it worked. You yeah. didn't even look at him at, like a pig at that point. You looked at him just like anybody else there. So really smart on Sony, what they did. And, and I think Phil Lord, Phil Lord was one of the screenwriters in this one. Right. So yeah, he was again, well written. Awesome. Yeah. I like that when they're going through his origin, it's like, I got bit by a spider. I got bit, I got bit by a pig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's so good, and there's that one drop line in there too about him saying like "That's all, folks" or something. What is yeah. he saying? Yeah. There? yeah, yeah. And someone's like, "Is that legal? Can we yeah. actually say it? like that's a very Deadpool moment?" Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was gonna great. say. That. Yeah, that's great. 
Um, now, yeah. we've touched on a few times Aunt May here. She plays a somewhat pivotal role here at bringing the whole crew together and bringing them down to the spider lair. I don't know if that's actually what it's called, but this was really cool. It's like going into Iron Man's armory or Batman's Batcave, Bat right? Cave, yeah. And you're seeing all these really great references. I think the Sony game suit is in there right it was on the far left corner you yeah, can see that yeah. costume you can see the spider bogey uh, mobile yeah the bike whatever <laughs> you see that black and green suit <laughs> yeah, awesome. it yeah was, big time yeah, it was yeah. awesome i really enjoyed this scene just for the little kind of dropped easter eggs and all that i think yeah. this film in itself when you look back at easter eggs and all that you're gonna be sitting you said when you watch you watch it the second time like i picked up yeah. on a whole bunch more so things yeah. it, it was it was it's really great visually for that Mm-hmm. And the other thing, speaking about Easter eggs that we haven't really touched on before we get into the villains and kind of wrap this up, is the Stan Lee cameo. Oh, yeah. yeah. This is the first time we're seeing Stan Lee after his tragic passing about a month or so ago. Um, did you get that? That really touched me, that scene, oh. right? Because that because Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, you know, these guys contributed to making this character. But just hearing Stan Lee talk about it, it was the dialogue was great. I found myself thinking, like, oh, man, this is really going to hit me. And it did. Yeah. Did, it, did it hit you guys the same way? Oof. Yeah, you know, it, it, it was tough because when we all saw it together, uh, the first the first screening is a pretty packed house. I could feel the whole crowd get, like, giddy. And then, like, oh, you know, like, yeah. We, we, yeah. like he's there, but he's, he's gone now, right? Like, we kind of forgot for a second that he's gone. And um, his line, again, um, the mask fits all. Yeah, they did. It, yeah, that, that was so well done when he's trying it so, on. He says it, it fits everyone eventually. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And like Sanjay mentioned, it's cool because they slap us with a little bit of humor after yeah. with no no refunds. And I thought, ah, oh, that, that's yeah. great. It was so good how they did that. And you know what? I feel like you see Stanley a lot because the second time when I watched it, when Miles and um, Earth 616 Peter, I guess you want to say, Jake Johnson's Peter, when they bump heads and they're cra- kind of crash landed in the middle of New York and people are walking all over the place, I'm pretty sure you see Stanley walk over them. Oh, so really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure you see Stan Lee quite a bit in that film. You've got to keep your eyes open for it. But the second time, it looked like from that bird's eye view, that was Stan Lee that walked over them after. Okay, and that's like, cool. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, 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 I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, that cameo, it was one of his better ones, I would say, to be honest with you. Like, he was really good. You know, Stan Lee's always been the showmanship, the salesman, and uh, it, it worked really well. And, uh, you know, it was a kind of a bittersweet moment. You know, I wonder what they're going to do you know, in five years from now for a Stanley cameo. So they can just have like pictures of him show up or digitally put him in there. I don't know, but uh, they got to do something. Cause it's, uh, it's, it's like tradition. It, you know, you always yeah. got to w- watch for it no matter what Marvel film, even if it's Fox, Sony or Disney. Yeah. And that's kind of cool. Like how many people could be in like a film franchise for three different studios and always be in it. You know, yeah. it's, I can't think of anything else like it in cinematic history. So it's yeah. it's super cool, and I hope they continue with it. Maybe like a picture of him somewhere. Yeah, in the Netflix yeah. series, they did pictures. Oh, okay. He's, okay. He's on the wall in a picture in some of them. Uh, so he, he does make appearances, technically appearances in those as well. And he even popped up in like Teen Titans Go, like a WWE. Yeah. yeah. That was yeah. hilarious. That was yeah. one of the better ones, yeah. So funny. Yeah. All right. Let's let's kind of, as we're getting down to the, the end of this, let's talk about the villains here. And we made reference earlier on about how many villains are actually in here. And I'm going to rattle them off. And if I forget any, let me know. We've got Kingpin Wilson Fisk. We've got Dr. Olivia Octavius, which is one of my favorite villains in this film. So good, yeah. We've got Scorpion, Prowler, Green Goblin, and Tombstone. Did mm-hmm. I miss yeah. anyone there? Uh... Um, you said Green Goblin, obviously. Yeah. You said Green Goblin, right? Yeah. No, no. no I yeah. think that's uh, all of them. 
chameleon, but he was just dressed as a normal human, so you couldn't really no. see him. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got six villains in there. I never once felt overwhelmed. No. You no. know, they don't spend a lot of time either developing these characters. You do get almost zero time with Wilson Fisk when he's not punching people up. Yeah. You get... And I don't know if that comes from me being very familiar with the character from watching the Daredevil Netflix series. And they don't really go into much about his wife or anything like that. They show a few kind of drop scenes where it's like, this is why I'm doing this. This is why they didn't want to be here. It was my fault they died. But you don't get much of that either. And even Dr. Olivia Octavius, they don't really expand on anything. To me, that was, I didn't know this character existed. I don't know if it's from the comic books or not. But um, that was a, the, one of the best villain reveals to me outside of Prowler was when she put her hair up and then all of a sudden she's Doc Ock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I loved this character. And she had some of the best battles to me. Oh, the yeah. battle at the lab when they're kind of – and the use of her arms is yeah. less of a um, like a big metal arm and more of something else. like a, organic almost. Yeah, yeah. organic, like inflatable, something, something yeah. like that. <laughs> that, was, that was one of my favorite parts or favorite battles in there is when they get in there – and there's that's that's really good use of humor in there when they when they're fighting her at first, right? You got oh. Peter B. Parker going, and he's invisible, and he's like, yeah. "How do I do this?" What's the great stuff yeah. in there? Yeah. How did you guys feel about the villains overall, and really the lack of any development? Did you feel that that detracted from the film, or did you think it propped it up? Because that's one thing we're always hitting Marvel films, DC films with is that we need to buy into the villain, we need to see a motivation, but you don't need a ton of that here and you don't get a ton of it. You get just enough. Am I buying into this? Cause I know these characters a bit better or do you guys think and agree that they did a good job just giving us enough, what we needed. And the focus was really on miles Morales, the spider people and solving a different problem. And maybe not particularly the villain problem. The villains are used to drive this a little bit, but they're not the key focus. You guys cool with that? I'll throw it to you first. Try um you know what the villains really worked for me well the two villains i already mentioned obviously prowler who i love um octopus was fantastic you, watching it the second time too when she's um in the background like teaching or yeah. not teaching but her videos in the background it shows her name in the bottom but not the full name so you can't see the last name i tried uh... looking like oh can you see that she's octavius here but you couldn't because like miles shoulders like blocking it so i thought that was really funny that they held on to that twist to the very end. Well, not the very end, but when they wanted to reveal it. Um, she was my number two villain, for sure. You know, my weakest villain, actually, I'd have to say, is Kingpin. Really? Uh, and yeah. I, and I, I, I say that because the Netflix one, yeah, is so good. And I'm not even expecting him to be the same one as the Netflix. But there's so much backstory building up to that Kingpin. For this one, he felt pretty simple. And mm. I would have almost rather had it been... Osborne, or I would have rather just had it been um, Octopus the whole way through, because I felt like his motives were a little flaky, even though I know, like, he wants to go to the multiverse to bring back his family, or to, like, get another version of his family, at least. But ultimately, Spider-Man had nothing really to do that, and the fact that he hates Spider-Man that much felt pretty weak for me. Um, his animation was cool, though. I love how big he was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cool. You know, that, that, that was really cool. I like how um, this season Spider-Man can kind of call it his plans. Like, he's like, watch, Kingpin's gonna stay in 24 hours, and then he does it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought that was uh, that was great, but again, for me, it's um, it's octopus for sure and Prowler. Those yeah. are my the shine moments, and I love that uh, Tombstone gets some shine in there because again, another C lister on the big screen. That's awesome. Yeah. He was in the background for a long time. Oh. Yeah, yeah. 
um, I agree. Like most of the villains worked for me. Um, Kingpin, you know, he's got to work on leg day though. He's just been doing shoulders all the time. Yeah. He couldn't no even fit through like a door. <laughs> a lot of neck presses. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one th- character that I really didn't get behind was Scorpion. Um, yeah. I don't know, like w- the Scorpion I know is uh, Mac Gargan, like the yeah. guy in the suit, and this guy seemed like a mechanical Scorpion, or I don't know. I think it's like a different Scorpion than the OG that I'm used to. Is this like more like the Ultimate Scorpion Troy, or is it someone completely? No, different? The, the Ultimate Scorpion is different too, but yeah. not like this. This I think they just took liberties and giving it, making him look more scorpion-like with like yeah. the mechanical kind of legs. But yeah. no, this one's not in the Ultimate Universe. No. Uh, yeah, that's the only one that really didn't do it for me because I I want to see Scorpion on the big screen. Like we haven't got him anywhere, um, and I love the character in the animated series, and I love the costume and just everything about him. So that's that's my one you know nitpick everything else like all the other villains i really dug but scorpion i just didn't buy into yeah and you know for me like i've already kind of given my opinion here but going back to your your point about kingpin i kind of bought the motivations enough like i didn't need any more than that yeah and i thought he was he was there and served a purpose right i didn't need this whole backstory i didn't find myself craving the same way I did with Killmonger, right? The same way right. I did with Thanos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A villain to focus on for this film. We yeah. had so much of it. If they hadn't taken more time out to say, here's Wilson Fisk exchanging with his wife and his kid, that to me is putting the whole film on pause to do a villain development. He didn't need that here. No. I like the reveal of the scorpion. And even the Green Goblin threw me a bit because I'm not used to that giant Green oh, Goblin. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's more yeah. Styles, this one. Yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. ultimate. So... Yeah. That kind of threw me a little bit, but these guys served the purpose. They needed a group of villains to go against a group of spider people, right? Yeah. You, d- you couldn't have, and this goes to the point about Miles Morales not really getting there until the end of the film. You couldn't have all of these these villains fighting just Miles Morales and, and one Spider-Man or just Miles Morales. It wouldn't have no. made sense. Yeah. You have no. all these seasons vets going against variations of from their own universe of different villains, which is really cool and really well done. I think that overall the villains here, big thumbs up from me. It never felt overwhelming, never felt overstuffed. The cool reveals with Octavius was good. I like Wilson Fisk being kind of the more prominent villain, at least the head of it, as opposed to Osborne. Osborne feels to me much more like a Peter Parker main villain. And I like that they didn't use that character because it would have felt okay, they're bringing a bit more of the Peter Parker elements in here. So using Fisk and using Olivia Octavius as opposed to Doc Ock. You know, really well done there. Really good use of the source material to bring a different dynamic, but something that felt relatively familiar as far as the villains go. Yeah. Now, going into the, the end battle here and closing the multiverse... How did you guys feel as uh, this to, to kind of cap off the film? Did you get the stakes there like I did when I thought maybe they're going to kill one of the, the Spider-Ben? Um, did you like the, the animation? Because it goes a bit crazy at this point, the multiverse. This is probably the most dynamic, the most out there animation. It felt, I likened it a bit more to in my head to some Doctor Strange crazy stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Is that it's just all over the place. You don't really have a frame of reference anymore, except for his father at a point. So you're just everywhere, and you got that thing floating around, the, the actual little piece, the kind of, I guess, the end MacGuffin that we really yeah, didn't talk the, about was a little thing. The goober. The, the goober. goober. I love yeah, that. Yeah. Yes, the goober, yeah. <laughs> From now on, we're no longer using the term MacGuffin. We're using goober. Yeah, goober. I agree. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> but how did you feel about the about the battle, Sanjay? 
Yeah, I liked it. You know, the colors were you know vibrant. They were out there. It was really cool. Like uh, atmosphere. It was uh, Kingpin versus Miles. But right before the battle, the thing that I really loved was when he gets his powers and he does that flip off the building. Yeah. And it's in slow motion. And the camera pans around and the music's playing. Yeah. Favorite part of the movie right that's there. The one, I love that. Yeah. The one. yeah. Yeah. Um, the final battle. Like, yeah, it was cool. And it was, I kind of like was confused as to why Miles' dad kind of figured it out. Or like yeah. if he even knows that, okay, Miles is Spider-Man. I don't think so. But, like, it kind of seemed a bit that he maybe he would have because he, like, hugged him and he's like, I love you. He's like, what did you say? Like, I think, like, maybe he'll put it together. I don't know. But, like, he shoots. Um, but he doesn't, like, go for Spider-Man, even though he's, like, kind of after Spider-Man because he thinks he killed uh, his brother. Um, that part was a little bit confusing. But, like, I love, like, the fight sequence and the colors and everything with, like, the multiverse folding in on itself and the ending. Yeah. Uh, it is pretty great. It was pretty great. You know, the first viewing I, is a little overstimulating. That yes. that scene is like, whoa, there's a lot going on, and it felt a little too long. Um, I agree with you on both those points. Yeah, you know <laughs> what I mean. But but second time, no, it, it worked okay. I felt like it could have been trimmed down a little bit. That whole sequence, I do really like the fact. Um, and I didn't notice this again. Second viewing is it's, it's key because when Miles um comes in and saves the day and does this whole like loop to loop stuff and Gwen's like I didn't teach him that and then the experienced Jake Johnson Spider-Man's like I didn't teach him that it's the original Spider-Man he got it from his Spider-Man so Yo. the first time he introduced that Spider-Man I didn't catch that the first time so I was like oh that's really cool that he still took that on from the previous Spider-Man and did that maneuver um the fight sequence between him and um Kingpin was all right too I like that he gave him like the Venom Blast which is like his key <laughs> yeah. signature move and he did the whole Aaron uh Aaron Johnson or um Aaron sorry, Davis. Aaron, Aaron Davis. Sorry, <laughs> too many names right now. Aaron Davis. He did the yeah. He did the Aaron Davis pickup line on uh, yeah. on Kingpin. Oh yeah. So I thought that was really cool. And then, again, just a, a way to uh, show how different Miles' power set is from every other Spider Man. So all around, yeah, it was it wasn't the, my favorite of this of the whole movie, but it wasn't bad. Yeah, Definitely. I'd agree with you that not being my favorite, it yeah. was uh, it was a little much for me first yeah. viewing. I'm sure it'll be better second viewing. But to me, this is just a nice way to end the film. Yeah. I think the thing I like the most about it is that I didn't know if they're going to kill his dad or not. I yeah. honest, oh, honest yeah. to God, I thought I was, I had that same anxiety that I had before is it feels like they're going to kill his dad here. Oh, and yeah. can someone go through three <laughs> tragedies to define the hero? Like oh, that, that's like his, his father dying would have crushed me yeah. watching this. And I'm glad they didn't do it. I think yeah. he needs that, that moral compass, if you will to a degree in his father he needs to have that mentorship even if it's not direct mentorship yeah um as far as being spider-man so i'm glad that they went there went that direction with it because again that felt telegraphed to me his why is his dad the only one that shows up there you know what i mean <laughs> it's yeah. it's not i don't want to use the word contrived but it brought for me a ton of stakes to that scene for as sure. to what was happening and them individually sending the the other spider people off was really great it was a nice way to say we'll see you again but head back to your universe and do your thing really well done on there and capping off this whole film i think it was an appropriate way to end and then coming down like you said his his father coming along and giving them that final push to finally being spider-man which i think is really great and yeah, like, <laughs> there's not much more we can really say about this film. This, like you said, Troy, you caught a lot in your second viewing. You know, mm -hmm. we didn't go into huge depth about his suit or whatever and all that. Yeah. It looks fantastic. But 
I'm sure we've missed a few things, or at least I've missed a few things because I've only seen it once. This is a movie, like you said, Troy, is really going to benefit from repeat viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's a ton of Easter eggs in here. There's a lot of nods to this huge, broad-spanning life of Spider-Men, Spider-People, yes. whatever you want to call it, that is kind of taken here, called together, amalgamated into something that's really fantastic here. So overall, guys, let's, let's kind of throw down... Our, our recommendations as well as commenting a bit on the film itself as a whole, as it fits together. You know, I, I have a feeling I know where it's going, <laughs> but we'll throw it to you first, Sanjay, and then I'm going to go and then we'll leave it to spider dude here uh, to give his final <laughs> recommendation and send off. Cool. And then we'll talk just briefly about that end credit scene. Awesome. Um, so let's talk about the film as a whole and give your recommendation, Sanjay. Okay. So when I sat down the very first scene, when I said approved by the comics code authority, <laughs> I knew I was in for something special. You yeah. know, this is like that Lego Batman, that uh, love letter to the character talking about spider-man popsicles you know they even brought in the spider-man dance from spider-man 3 they had the trains from spider-man 2 where he's holding it together you know just every iteration of the character like spider-man to me is marvel's top gun like he's been through everything he's had tv shows he's had breakfast cereals he's had the christmas album they even make fun of that i mean was that a real thing I don't know. I think so. I feel like it should be. <laughs> I'd buy Great it. Time of year. It will right. be now. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like I remember as a kid, uh, I went to like Market Mall or something, and they said like Spider Man would be there, and it was just some guy dressed up as a suit. But I was just like so jazzed to see Spider Man. Like he just has that power. You know, he's like the big gun, and this movie encapsulates everything. The reason to love Spider Man, everything about Spider Man, his complete history. Like this is like a Wikipedia article on Spider Man yeah. in a movie form. That's like way more entertaining. Like this is great. I love that. <laughs> I love this movie. Um, the, the colors, the soundtrack, uh, the voice acting, the animation, everything. The villains, the heroes, everything works. Everything works. You know, um, very few minor things that didn't, but like very very minor. And you know, we had to pick something, but yeah. you know, ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time. You're going to be loving this movie, having a good time. Uh, the only time you wouldn't be loving this is when you're like, it ends and you want more and you want that sequel. I uh, can't recommend this movie enough. Check it out. Check it out in theaters. Get it on home video. Um, don't don't wait for this. Uh, I, I think, you know, you will miss something if you don't see this in theaters. I think, you know, movies need to be seen on the big screen and especially this one with all the Easter eggs, the colors, everything. So highly, highly recommend it. And I have a feeling it's going to be appearing on our top 10 list at the end of the year. Um, And it'll be appearing fairly highly for all of us, I think. And it might be the only film that does that. So uh, actually, no, there's, it's been a pretty good year. So, uh, you know, you know, it's been a great year for comic book films. There's still one left, but this is a nice uh, second last one of the year. Yeah, it is. And what more can I say? Um, I echo all of your thoughts there, Sanjay. One thing I'm always banging on about when we do this review is, is I love economic storytelling and I love engaging storytelling and you get that tenfold here these characters here i don't know how they did it but with very minimal screen time for some of them i'm fully engaged in buying into them that is a very difficult thing to do with only minimal time and this many characters six villains uh what do we get six different spider people five different spider people maybe if you include chris pines there there's a lot of characters in this film i never felt overwhelmed at all it never it doesn't suffer from the spider-man 3 effect at all (laughs) this story is is brilliantly crafted the visuals are fantastic they are ripping and pulling from every era of comic book art 
my only small nitpick is sometimes that visualization is slightly overwhelming and the focusing thing. That's my small nitpick here. Mm -hmm. This is a top tier recommend for me. And I have to echo your thoughts again, Sanjay. See this in theaters. It's worth sitting down and enjoying and, and having that time. And I think this is important that your phone's in your pocket, all the other distractions are away and you focus for two hours on this film because you need to focus to appreciate everything they've thrown in here. You look at the references we get for MCU films and DC films, this thing amps it up to 10. You got literally everything you can think of is stuffed into this film and never once did I feel like this is fan service, this is overwhelming, too overwhelming, maybe the visuals a little, but the story in itself, fan fantastic standouts for me of course miles morales peter b i want to almost said jordan peter b. <laughs> and uh the prowler and olivia olivia octavius four yeah. big standouts for me the rest are great but those are the ones that stood tall all right troy yeah man well shoot what more can i say after all you guys i mean i, I echo all those thoughts for sure i mean i'm a big spider-man fan and obviously i left the theater super impressed um i've been saying it before like from the beginning of this review here it's a comic book come to life like i couldn't i could never imagine a comic book done so well and put on the big screen in this capacity it was incredible from the art from the score the voice performances were top notch um uh miles the actor um shmeek moore shmeek moore was fantastic from the get down he kills it as miles morales jake johnson holds it down as spider-man i even love chris pine as what he did for his spider-man take um edge of uh, edge of 17's um Haley Seifeld there's so many names to go through <laughs> I know it's so hard <laughs> so many names she's 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 great I can't wait to see her in her own film and yeah just get out there and see this movie this is definitely something to see on the big screen but I'm even more excited to see it on like a like a 4k tv I can't oh, wait oh yeah to it's gonna the animation is just gonna look brilliant um Sanjay you know I'm coming after you for a still book <laughs> get still book of this movie of course and um yeah man it's the year of the Spider man this is this is so cool like we've had him in the video game format we had him on the big screen unfortunately you know get disintegrated or <laughs> and then we have him live in, a, in an animated film this is fantastic and i think every other studio out there like wb is taking notes because man like i want to see batman do it now i want a batman beyond out there with the same kind of budget yeah and uh just make it happen man this is this is so cool um uh, the multiverse done for the first time ever on the big screen is just like Never in a million years I thought this would happen in just no. one film. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really well done. And that's a full set of recommends from from the table here in the nerd room. And before we sign up, before we wrap this up, let's briefly talk about this end credit oh, scene. My goodness, <laughs> Troy's beside me, absolutely howling. So Troy, I want you to walk us through this a little bit because they don't they don't give you much here. It it comes down to being someone that's in the know from comic books to actually understand this. So walk us through this a little bit. Yeah. So after all the Spider-Man we've mentioned, there was one Spider-Man that if you have some idea of the character, you're kind of thinking like, well, that's one Spider-Man that's missing from this whole film. And that is Spider-Man 2099. Uh, Miguel O'Hara comes from the timeline 2099. So you see him kind of pop up and he's talking to one of his other scientists lab partners. And they're like, okay, we've got to go back in time. Where are we going to go? And he's like, let's go to the very beginning. <laughs> they go to like the 1960s, 1960s cartoon Spider-Man. Oh. It's hilarious. They don't have the same voice actor, but it's still that same weird like adult voice yeah. for yeah. a very young Spider-Man. <laughs> and they, they have a pointing match. They're pointing at each other. And it's, I was dying. I was dying the first time with Sunday. I was yeah. dying 
harder with him. Yeah, and so James, Jameson's in the background there, and yeah. like, get that Spider-Man. Which one? That Spider-Man. And oh, hilarious, hilarious. One of the funniest post-credit scenes I've seen in a little while. There, that was that was great. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I yeah, I couldn't believe it. Like Spider-Man 2099, I have some like comic books of him. Yeah. Didn't know anything, but like seeing that, of course, the 67 show, we all remember that. Yeah. We've all watched it before. Like the animation was so budget, but like for them to like transpose that like character into <laughs> it was amazing to see. And you know, I see we've all seen the memes of like Spider-Man 67, right? Like they're yeah. all out there. So I mean, this is just going to be another one. This was amazing. I I loved it. It was yeah. It was probably my one of my favorite Easter eggs for like a long time like it seems like the the last couple have been kind of let down or just like humor they're not like really building anything and this one was just like the funniest thing and it built something too it built hype for the sequel well and that's it too right it's it's a great throw or callback to something different in the spider universe it builds into okay spider-man 2099 is going to be input into this somehow it kind of gives you this idea that the multiverse is still going to be a big thing going forward in this universe but it's also hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly what these need to do. They need to give yeah. you a good chuckle and need to progress some form of narrative somewhere. That's where the best MCU ones are is yeah. that it's like, holy shit, that just happened. Or yeah. it's funny, but it also lends to something else. So yeah. yeah, great way to cap off this film. And that's where we're going to end this review, guys, with the end credits scene. Like I said, full recommend from us here. And we're going to be back here next week reviewing another film. You know, Coming off the back end of Into the Spider-Verse, we're going to be rocking straight into DC's tentpole film for the year, Aquaman. We're going to see it this week, and we're going to review it. We're going to find a way to review this, because that's (laughs) going to be a bit more difficult than seeing the film, which is usually the harder part, (laughs) is finding time to to see the film. But it's actually sitting down and recording this. So we will have something next week, next Thursday, in the form of an Aquaman review. It's going to be very similar to this. It's going to be, the whole episode is going to be Aquaman focused. And we hope that you guys can get out there, support Sanjay, support DC, support Warner Brothers, whatever, however you want to call it. <laughs> it, it does, you know, unlike Into the Spider-Verse, this one's already a hit. So uh, see it or don't see it, it, it's getting a sequel, but I hope you do see it because, uh, you know, it's always better uh, when people see these and you can make your own opinion about this film. So Yes, uh, I will stress that. Make your yeah. own opinion about the film, get out there and see it, and then come back here and listen to us one way or another reviewed. <laughs> and, and, you know, I got to give a quick shout out to Aquaman. If you want any kind of hype, if you haven't been on board for this film, just check out someone on Twitter. There's a cool video of him and his boys for the season oh, yeah. Or yeah. screen premiere. And they're doing like their chant. The it Haka. Is, yeah. That yeah. thing got me hyped more than any trailer, anything I've seen in this film. That thing right there, I was like, whoa, Momoa is killing it. Like, yeah. love, yeah. That. Yeah. love that. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Quick little plug there for you, Sanjay. <laughs> Thank you, Troy. Thank you. And uh, make sure you see Into the Spider-Verse too. You know, a little tit for tat there. You know, I, I got your back too. Both of these films, just, just not too much. Because I'm on the verge, on the verge of winning. Well, you never know. I mean, you know, I think you you got the domestic, but the international, like, I think we're all going to win one category. Yeah, I think we were joking about this before, is that Troy's likely to win the domestic, I'm likely to win the worldwide, and Sanjay's likely to win the international. Yeah, <laughs> it's, we're, it's the millennial just way. ridiculous. Yeah, so everyone gets a trophy. Everyone yeah. gets a trophy in this. Yay, participation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, gentlemen, and for everyone out there listening, we thank you. We hope you have a very, very great holiday season. Right. Yes. And if you'd like to be a part of this show in a bigger way, you can always email us at the nerdrm at gmail.com. You can hit us up on 
no longer Facebook or YouTube. <laughs> should stop saying this. But come to Twitter if you'd like to interact with us. That's where we're always hanging out. We've got the hashtag Twitter gang out there doing their thing. We seem to be adding more and more people every single week. It's a lot of fun. Sometimes I show up and I have 200 notifications on Twitter. <laughs> but it's absolutely great. And I love being a part of that community. And as well, if you want to be a part of a bigger community, there's always the Star Wars Commonwealth. There's 10 and Penn Podcasts in there that's always producing fantastic content that varies from pure Star Wars all the way to what we do and it's kind of a some sort of hybrid of these big three franchises but there's something there for everyone and we'd like to wish each and every one in the Star Wars commonwealth including the knights of the commonwealth and you know give a special shout out to grabs and matthew salvador who are big contributors to this show in general to for them to have a very happy holidays and everyone to have have a great great season be safe be kind do your thing enjoy and I think that about wraps it up. I guess if you want to find everything else we do, you can find it on the nerdroom.net. You can check our Wikipedia page, too. Yep. Oh, man, we should actually do one of those. That's a great idea. Yeah, let's do yeah. it. I'm, okay. do, I'm doing yours. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I meant the podcast, but you can do me. <laughs> oh, I I'll can, can I? I'll put some yellow pages. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. Have a very, very happy holidays. And for the Nerd Room, I'm Tim. I'm Troy. And I'm Sanjay Singh. Have a happy holiday. <laughs> and thank you for entering the Nerd Room. This has been a Nerd Room Podcast production. You can find our hosts, Tim, Troy, and Sanjay, on Twitter at TheNerdRM, TroyTheBoy87, and Sunjabby. For more content from the Nerd Room, check out TheNerdRoom.net. And don't forget to subscribe to the Nerd Room on iTunes, Podbean, and YouTube. Be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find more podcasts in the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network, including Talk Star Wars, Tumbling Saber, Generation X-Wing, Rogue Squadron Podcast, Skyrim Podcast, and San Diego Sabers. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SWCommonwealth and take your first steps into a larger world.